Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, January 13th, we are studying Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Jesus begins his public ministry by calling disciples to himself. In Christ, four fishermen are made to be fishers of men. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Ward, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Pastor Apple, can you hear me? I can. How are you this morning, Pastor Beck? Hey, I'm doing well. We're having some connection issues, but I think we might have gotten it straightened out. That's good. How's the weather in Ward? Uh, it's probably about the same as it is in Smithville. We got a little bit of frost on the roofs, but uh, you know it's only about thirty-two, thirty-four, something like that. It's cold in Texas this morning. I know, beautiful day in the kingdom of God. <laughs> That's right. So we're in Mark this morning, Pastor Beck, and we're just a few verses into the book, really. But he has already taken us on quite the journey. Give us some yeah. context in Mark, the gospel as a whole, where we've been so far as we get up to the verses we've got today. Well, how to start, man. I, I feel like uh, I should probably just talk really fast, right? That's that's kind of the flavor of Mark. Is, that's right. Uh, we're moving quick. We don't have time to uh, talk about angels and shepherds and magi and, and Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah. We don't have time for any of that. We've got to get started because we've got a really important story to tell. And uh, so, no, uh, all joking aside, Mark's gospel uh, is just, it's a quick-paced gospel. you got to kind of um, you know, kind of gird your loins there and, uh, you know, tuck your robe into your belt because we're about to run. That's, a, you know, for pastors who wear robes. Right? Uh, we're, we're moving quickly through the, uh, through the gospel, through the life, the death, uh, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And so uh, we've already, you know, uh, I, was, I was looking at this text uh, the last couple of days, and, you know, we're just over a dozen verses into the, into the entire book, and we've already raced past Jesus' incarnation, his birth, about 30 years of his life, uh, his baptism, temptation, and return from the wilderness. I know you guys talked yesterday about Jesus' first sermon, that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, so a lot of material has kind of, uh, dare I say, been glossed over, and yet now it's time to uh, to jump into uh, Jesus sort of uh, him building his following uh, him. Uh, we see what the, the effects of, and the fruit of his preaching uh, looks like is that, well, some people start following him. Right. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, probably uh, every guest that you've had, as long as you've been studying, Mark, has probably uh, taken a step up to the plate and tried to uh, to give kind of a similar uh, uh you know, similar introduction as as I just did, and they probably all did a better job, but I think it's probably my turn now to step up to the plate and just kind of give a few details about Mark that we should uh, we should take in uh, into um, into account anytime that we're going to study the second gospel. 
Um, the first thing that we should probably understand, um, and this is, I, I, I'm teaching a high school class right now at the local uh, Lutheran High School, um, on, and we're teaching the New Testament. We spent a lot of time in Mark uh, last semester. One of the things that we were able to emphasize um, is the fact that Mark sort of has a little bit of mystery within the text. Um, and that's because uh, at the very beginning of the gospel, you have to scroll back up a little bit or turn a page back perhaps, uh, but Mark 1.1 says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? Um, and then we don't hear uh, Jesus labeled uh, as the Son of God uh, by anybody with the exception of, well, a couple of unclean spirits, but of course Jesus won't let them uh, he does not permit them to speak his name because demons don't get to proclaim uh, who Jesus is. We don't hear it until uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 39, which, of course, you know, um, is when Jesus dies and there's a Roman centurion standing right next to him. And when he sees how he dies, what does he say? Surely this man is the son of God. So we have almost kind of bookends in the book of Mark um, that is Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And in between those two bookends, nobody else really seems to get it. There's sort of a mystery going on. Um, and, you know, the disciples at times, we think they get close to understanding. I mean, you know, Peter has his great confession. It's not quite as great as it is in Matthew's recounting of events, um, right? But uh, nobody seems to quite understand who Jesus is. And I think that that is one of the reasons that a lot of scholars and a lot of uh, folks who have written commentaries and things like that uh, will say that Mark was uh, likely uh, the intended audience was uh, a group of Gentile Christians um, who were living in a in a non uh, non-Jewish, non-Christian uh, area of the world, perhaps even in Rome. And when these guys uh, read this, of course, they already knew who Jesus was. Uh, that's why perhaps Mark didn't need to tell us that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Mark didn't need to tell us all of the details about John being arrested, although he gets to those things later in the gospel. Mark didn't need to fill in all the blanks for us. He's just giving us kind of a reminder, a recap, a retelling of the, uh, of the gospel story. Um, but uh, when the original readers of Mark would have read this, they would have identified with Jesus the fact that people don't know who they are. People don't understand them. They're completely and wholly different uh, from the Roman world, from the Greek world, from the pagan world. Um, and so people just there was there was a disconnect between you know, even their family members, the people that they did business with, the people that had been in their lives for their entire lives. They just looked at them and said, I don't know you anymore. Who are you? And so when you read through the Gospel of Mark, I think that we can, in that way, we can sort of identify with Jesus as always kind of being the, um, the ones that don't quite fit in the way of the world, if that makes kind of a little bit of sense. I don't know. I, I think it does. <laughs> did, I, did I hit the nail or, or did I miss? <laughs> I, no, I think that's helpful. The the thought about Mark's audience and and again, not knowing specifically exactly right. who he's writing to, but speculation for sure. Sure, but but given the way that he writes and what we do know historically from other sources about likely places where Mark would have been and particularly his right. connection to Simon Peter in Rome. Right. Those things make good sense, and I do think that that fits well, the mystery surrounding Jesus, people asking who he is, and how those Christians, particularly in the first century, would have stood out. Who are these guys? And, and perhaps still today, 
in our world, a gospel like this one will be helpful for us as well as Lord willing, we continue to stand out in a world and people wonder about us. Who are they? Uh, what do you think? No, I, I completely agree. I think that's uh, one of the reasons that Mark is such an applicable gospel for today. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's a temptation for us when we read the gospel of Mark to think that it's simple. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you read it, and um, I mean, I, I've commented on this in Bible class before that, you know, I mean, the temptation of Jesus, which in Matthew and Luke, you know, is a couple of paragraphs and quotes back and forth between, you know, Jesus and, and the devil, and they're, you know, using God's word back and forth, you know, and everything else, and, you know, will he, won't he, and, you know, we just, we read into that and everything else, but in Mark's gospel, we get two verses. That's the temptation. You know, same way with the uh, with the baptism. There's three verses, and there's none of the back and forth between Jesus and John saying, "Well, you should be baptizing me, right?" And all of this stuff. Um, Mark chooses his words. I don't think Mark is a simple gospel. I think Mark is an intentional gospel, right? And so the words that Mark has, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit chosen to include um, are chosen for very particular reasons. Um, and so when we read those, you know, because I mean, and, and I was when I was teaching the, the New Testament class last semester, um, and we were going through the book of Mark, that was one of the things that we had to wrestle with is sometimes Mark really slows down. Sometimes right. I mean, look at the triumphal entry in Mark. It's just as long as Matthew and Luke. I mean, it's almost like he pumps the brakes, he slams on the brakes, slams the thing into park um, and says, listen, there's some important stuff about to happen, right? We don't want to gloss over this. We don't want to move too quickly through this. Um, there's several other places where Mark just, um, he has more detail than the other synoptics, which is, is frankly kind of surprising. But I think that it's important for us when we read Mark, uh, to understand that while it is shorter, it does seem a little simpler. Um, there are nevertheless just as important details here, um, and the things that Mark does include, um, well, well, it's it's up to us, um, you know, using our sanctified common sense, using the study of Scripture and God's Word, um, you know, informing God's Word, uh, it's up to us to, uh, to learn and to discern, um, why is this there? What, what is what is the Lord trying to tell me through these uh, these brief accounts? Um, and I think the one that's in front of us today is no different from that, uh, because it seems like just the most straightforward account in the world. Uh, here we go. Just a couple of quick verses. Jesus is going to call some disciples. Now we move on to the next thing. <laughs> right. I mean, you're exactly right about Mark will give you these, not random, but just sort of right there and then in another spot. And here again, these details that you don't get elsewhere. We already encountered that in the temptation of Jesus, where Mark tells us Jesus was, was with the wild animals, which is not something yeah. you get in the other gospels. And so there's, there's Mark, even in his brevity, giving you important details peppered into the text, again, to point out to you that Jesus is the son of God. And although that fact remains a mystery, to the human characters in the Gospel of Mark, all the way until you get to the Roman centurion in chapter 15, Mark is revealing that mystery to you, reading the Gospel here and now through these various accounts. And so we've seen him do that already through the preaching of John, through the baptism, the temptation of Jesus, the opening sermon that Jesus preaches here in the Gospel, and now he calls his first disciples. So we are in Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. 
Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the, their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And that's the text for today, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. So, Pastor Beck, in the first verse of this text, Jesus is alongside the Sea of Galilee. He's in the northern part of the land of Israel. We talked a little bit about that yesterday, that Jesus has gone into the territory of Galilee, which is where Herod Antipas had John arrested. He goes into that territory. He's preaching, and now he's going to call disciples. And the first two that are mentioned are Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. So let's talk a little about these two guys, particularly Simon. Given Mark's connection to Simon Peter, this seems pretty important. Right. Right. We have uh, Simon Peter, of course, uh, is the first mentioned um, uh, apostle, disciple uh, here in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, it's often uh, been suggested uh, as um, Mark was uh, Peter's translator, Uh, uh, Later during uh, Peter's ministry, uh, especially in the book of Acts, of course, uh, John Mark traveled for a time with Paul until they had falling out. Um, There's uh, this is there is evidence to suggest um, that Mark's gospel is sort of the gospel that Peter would have proclaimed. Right. Uh, You have to you have to know that. Uh, when Paul, when Peter, when the other apostles uh, were going out, you know, and of course Acts is sort of the, the survey of first Peter, uh, and then, you know, a few of the disciples there in around Jerusalem, but then ultimately it's the story of Paul and his missionary journeys. But, you know, um, there there could also be stories written, you know, uh, they, they weren't, but there could be stories written about each of the apostles because uh, most of them wound up in other places in other parts of the world sharing gospel. Um, and so what we have recorded for us in Mark, in all likelihood, um, this is the way that uh, P- uh, Peter would have told the gospel of Jesus, right? Uh, and so uh, when we read the gospel of Mark, we kind of, you know, almost kind of in the back of our heads have to remember uh, this is the Peter gospel. And that's not to say that Peter makes himself look extra good in the gospel. Um, you know, in, in Mark, it sure seems like just about any time that Jesus, uh, you know, takes the disciples off by themselves, um, it's for a scolding. It's to, to tell them that they're, uh, they're missing the mark, that they're off, you know, off base. Um, and so, you know, I think that maybe there's some comfort for us Christians uh, in that as well. Uh, is that you know we're, we don't always get it right. We uh, we are constantly uh, in need of repentance, in need of turning back uh, to the the kingdom of God. But yeah, you, you're absolutely right, Pastor Apple. We have uh, Simon Peter here listed first. Um, Simon and Andrew are brothers, um, and you know Andrew is identified here as the brother of Simon. It's it's not just Simon and Andrew, a couple of brothers, but it's Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon. Right. So, I mean, it's almost kind of told from Peter's perspective. Right. Um, And and that's I think that's uh, just a feature of Mark that we have to kind of be okay with. And we just kind of have to, you know, kind of take that into account whenever we're reading through it. Uh, But we have just the very simple fact here that they are casting a net 
into the sea. If we're going to talk about um, Simon and Andrew, uh, we should talk also about the fact that um, these two uh, were from Bethsaida in Galilee, right, that they uh, are from uh, the region of Galilee, which is an extremely kind of um, – I mean, in terms of, of places where, where the Jews live, this is a pretty secular area, right? Um, this is not known to be, um, you know, this is not the Jerusalem. This is not the, uh, the Rome of, uh, of the you know, Roman Catholic Church. This is not the Jerusalem for the Jews. This is, um, this is not, I guess, for Missouri Synod's Lutherans. This is not St. Louis. <laughs> or, or Serban in Lee County. Or Urban in Lee County, Texas. None of your listeners know what on earth that means. Uh, look <laughs> it up. It's actually pretty interesting. Uh, nevertheless, uh, there you go. So um, we have uh, Simon and Peter, Simon's brother, or, um, yeah, Andrew, rather, the, uh, the brother of Simon Peter. Um, when we talk about Andrew, um, Andrew shows up in, uh, of course, all four of the Gospels. Uh, one of the things that's significant about Andrew, um, and I, I actually remember this from a, uh, a passion play, uh, type thing uh, that, that highlighted each of the uh, each of the disciples, um, but Andrew is kind of the he's the guy who's always bringing stuff to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. He he's the guy that brings the the young boy with the the loaves and the fishes. Um, uh, he brings the um, the Greeks uh, to Jesus. He uh, he brings Philip uh, to Jesus, um, and so he's he's kind of the guy that he shows up to. Uh, to bring folks along uh, to where Jesus is. Um, of course, not in this text. Uh, that's just kind of uh, using extra texts from around the Gospels um, to get a little bit picture, a better picture of what, uh, what he's all about. Sure. And even in, in John chapter 1, which again, I know, different Gospel, but you see Andrew bringing his own brother, Simon to Jesus right, there yeah, in, yeah. in connection with, with John the Baptist. So that you, I mean, yeah, that's one of the features of Andrew who sometimes, well, not sometimes pretty much all the time, you know, falls in his brother's shadow. He doesn't get mentioned yeah. with Peter, James, and John. He always comes after right, those three. The circle. He's always kind of the, the next guy in line. It seems um, he's there's Peter, James, and John. They're going to be the main three. Uh, but then there are a couple of times when Andrew is is named alongside uh, Peter as well. So yeah, right, doing right. Things. And here being one of those cases, as you said, yeah. you, you will often see these spots in Mark's gospel where you can see the the finger of Peter going along. And I think this is one of them. Just some of the details that they were casting the net into the sea. I mean, there's eyewitness details here that that come yeah. from probably. Peter, who was there, you know, Peter knew what he and his brother were doing when Jesus came and called them. He knew what James and John were doing as they went then to, to call when Jesus called James and John as well. So, you, and you'll see that in other places as well. There's just a hint of it here. A few other places, it'll become more clear that, yeah, that was, Peter was there and, and he's telling Mark exactly what he saw and heard, which is, I mean, I think that's a, that's an important detail to keep in mind that these accounts that we have in the Gospel of Mark and throughout the Gospels, these come from the men who were there, who saw Jesus, who, who touched him, who s- heard his own voice. I mean, John will make that point. And Peter, too, I guess, in his in one of his epistles, when he's talking about the transfiguration, they will talk about yeah, that it's important there. that they were there, that they heard these things. Go ahead. No, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, Peter, in, uh, in his epistle, talks about the fact that, um, you know, that 
that they actually have that eyewitness testimony that they were there on the mountain. Um, and then he says that we have something even more sure, and that's the prophetic word, right? Uh, but just one other comment on, uh, on Simon and Andrew. Um, it's interesting to note here that um, Simon, of course, Simeon, right? A good Hebrew name. Um, Andrew, not so much. I mean, that's not a, I don't think there's an Andrew in the Old Testament because Andrew is a Greek name. Right. I mean, it's from Andros. Right. Which means man's man. <laughs> I mean, he's a he's he's the manly guy. Right. Um, and so you got Simon and then you got Greek man. Um, I mean, this it's maybe that just points to the fact that uh, the area where they were from in Galilee, uh, you know, that it was it was a little bit more secular. It was a little bit more. Uh, I guess we could say Hellenized, um, that Simon sort of here retains uh, his, his Hebrew name. Uh, but Andrew, I mean, you know, it's, it's all indications are that he's, he's part of the Greek culture. He's, you know, he's, he's here, just he's, he's even known by a Greek name. So maybe that's something to don't read too much into, but just an interesting thing when you get Greek names and Hebrew names. And I'm sure that sure. Andrew and- had a Hebrew name, right? Sure. For, yeah, I, you would you would certainly think so. It, you yeah. know, it, drawing from uh, Matthew's gospel, where Matthew introduces this scene, it's right before this, where he will pull in that quote from Isaiah chapter 9 about the light shining in the darkness of, of Zebulun right. and Naphtali, this Galilee of the Gentiles. And, yeah. you know, historically, we talked about this in our series with Advent with the Prophets. Historically, this would have been the area that would have received the brunt of the Assyrian invasion and experienced some of the greatest darkness politically and also spiritually as well. The the idolatry yeah. from other nations would have come into Israel through this area. And so there would have been some uh, mixture within the, the religion. And, and this is where Jesus chooses to shine his light and, and he does so by calling these men yeah isn't that fascinating that jesus doesn't he doesn't go straight to jerusalem and say you know where are some people who are you know the the fields are ripe for uh for harvest instead he goes out to the backwater places he goes to the the places that you wouldn't expect for the messiah to raise up his disciples and these are the ones that he calls to, to become fishers of men I think that there's there's something beautiful about that, and maybe if we are again to speculate about the the hearers, the original audience of Mark, and even the modern audience of Mark, um, there's something beautiful about that that says, you know, if I'm a if I'm a first century Roman, you know, and I've heard the gospel, you know, hey, you know, I mean, there's there's something of the fact that I'm not of Jewish descent. There's something of the fact that that's not my lineage, that those are not my promises and, and the, the, um, the heritage uh, of faith that I have. And yet it is for me. Right. And same for us. Most of us, you know, you know, are, um, are not from Jewish stock, uh, but instead have, uh, have been grafted in uh, to this, uh, this wonderful, wonderful kingdom of God that Jesus has given us. And and the fact that that they are fishermen too, I think, stands out. We've got just a couple minutes before the break here, Pastor Beck. So let's yeah, talk sure. a little bit about just the profession of fishermen in, in the ancient world. It, I mean, as you said, Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem. He's not going to the priestly class. He's not going to the religious leaders. He's going to fishermen. This seems like a well. It's not the choice I think that I would have made, but that's the choice Jesus makes. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So we get to let Jesus be Jesus here. Um, right. No, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, 
Yeah, so the the fishermen in those days, especially around the Sea of Galilee, man, this was a this was an industry. And you got to think that um, you know this is a a I mean we, we would say a near eastern you know culture, uh, but I mean that's pretty close to Mediterranean culture, right? I mean it's it's near the Mediterranean Sea. I mean these are people that eat their fish, right? I mean if you if you live near a place where there are fish, that's going to be a staple of your diet. Right. It's just a fact of, of life. And so all around the Sea of Galilee, I mean, there are fishermen. This is um, uh, it's an important job. Uh, but while it's an important job, I don't think that it's uh, it's necessarily one that is looked upon with with honor or with praise or anything like that. Um, these guys are not um, not celebrities. They are not um you know, I mean, we would think of them kind of maybe as the farmers or the ranchers um, that, you know, get overlooked, uh, are not necessarily thought of by most people in the world, um, and yet they are providing a very needful service. Um, and Jesus is going to uh, invite them to something that's even more needful. He's going to invite them to, uh, to be uh, fishers for his kingdom for the sake of, of all men. And that's kind of where we're going next in the text. That's right. These fishermen will become fishers of men, and we will explore how Jesus calls Andrew, Simon, James, John into that calling on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. On this Wednesday, January 13th, 2021, KFUO Radio celebrates our day sponsors, Gerard and Linda Kruger of St. Peter's, Missouri. Gerard and Linda made a gift to KFUO Radio in celebration of their 53rd wedding anniversary and in thanksgiving for three children and their spouses and for eight grandchildren and for all the blessings the Lord has given them. Thank you, Gerard and Linda Kruger, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. Greetings, saints of our Lord. This is Pastor Brady Finner. I am humbled to be the new host of Thy Strong Word every weekday from 11 to noon. We will receive the gift of God's Word and Paul's epistles for our new series. We will travel with Paul from city to city, from letter to letter, as he encourages, exhorts, proclaims, and points us to Christ and Him crucified for your forgiveness. Join us, live or on demand, because God has gifts to give for you. A hardened ranch hand bears wounds from the past. As hard as I might try, there are people I cannot forgive. But can he overcome his bitterness? Your memory of your pain is greater than the memory of your deliverance. To protect the son of his best friend. I will give my life to save yours. When Quicksand threatens to kill him. Don't do this. Quicksand, the exciting new audio drama on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, January 13th. We are looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. We've got Pastor Dustin Beck with us. He serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, prior to the break, we're talking about Simon and Andrew, his brother, who are fishermen. They are casting their nets into the sea. They're actually in the act of fishing. And Jesus calls them. And he says, the only words from Jesus that we've got in this text are in verse 17. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. 
Take us into these words of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Um, well, like I said before, uh, in Mark's gospel, um, the words are chosen very carefully as far as what is recorded, uh, what is given to us. Um, and especially if this is, you know, kind of, quote, unquote, the gospel of Peter, uh, then, of course, these are the words that made the biggest impact upon Peter. These are the words that he carried with him uh, on his uh, his eventual uh, missionary trips, his eventual uh, trip to Rome. Uh, and so when Peter uh, retold this and when Mark recorded this, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, um, this is crucial. This is important for us to see uh, because uh, Jesus is saying, follow me. These are the same words recorded uh, to uh, to Peter all the way at the end of St. John's Gospel. You remember the way that St. John's Gospel ends, right? Uh, Simon, do you love me more than these? Right? And eventually, what is the point? Follow me. Right? That's where it all comes back to is follow me. The same first words that Jesus spoke uh, are the words uh, at the end of, uh, again, not to jump Gospels, but at the end of John's Gospel, those are the very same words that, uh, that Peter is left with, to follow Jesus. And I think that that's uh, really the, the charge and the call uh, for all uh, Christians. Uh, for all Christians, you know, the, the original audience, for the, the modern audience, for you and for me, follow Jesus, right? Uh, life will be different. And the phrase, I will make you become fishers of men, um, is a little bit of a strange phrase, right? I mean, mm. uh, that's, you know, I... Uh, my mind always goes to uh, one time a couple of years ago, uh, our, our, our sons were, uh, my sons, uh, were, uh, were fishing. Uh, of course, they had their fishing rods and everything like that. And uh, our youngest uh, was not great with a fishing rod at that time and uh, wound up uh, hooking his brother in the cheek. Um, <laughs> oh, no. He's just fine. He recovered. It's, it's all good. Fantastic. Um, but he's, he's, he doesn't like fishing as much as the other brothers for some reason. <laughs> You know, and uh, any time that I see, I will make you become fishers of men. That's all, that always pops into my head of, uh, you know, that unintentional uh, becoming a fisher of men. I don't think that's what this is talking about, of course. Uh, <laughs> this is talking about the fact that that uh, uh, in the same way uh, that the, the fishermen of the first century uh, were, were uh, Andrew and Simon were fishermen, and the same way that they would use a, a great net, right, cast off the side of their boat and then hauled in with, uh, with fish, um, in the same way will the gospel go out into the, into the world. And when the gospel goes out, it will bring back in a harvest. It will bring back in um, a catch, um, and the, those that are going to be caught in the net, uh, Matthew tells us in Matthew 13, uh, in the parable of the great drag net, right? Um, he tells us that there will be those brought in by the net, by the kingdom. Um, and that's, that's part and parcel of what, uh, what Jesus is inviting and calling uh, and ordaining uh, Simon and Andrew to be, about, to be about bringing people in to this kingdom that Jesus comes to bring. So let's let's talk a little bit about both of those parts further. You've yeah. got follow me and then the fishers of men. So with follow me, this is very clearly what Peter and Andrew do. Immediately right. they leave their nets and they quite literally follow Jesus. They start walking behind him. Now, you you said that this is something that all Christians, this is a call to all Christians to follow Jesus. In, in what sense, and I know this becomes a little more apparent with James and John, is they actually leave their father, they leave their boats. Yeah. In, in what sense do Christians follow Jesus still today? I mean, does that, we're not literally 
walking behind him in the same way Peter, Andrew, James, and John did. We don't necessarily all leave professions either. What? Right. How does this? How does this work for Christians still today? Well, I got to tell you, some people do, right? I mean, right. you and I both know folks, uh, you know, uh, pastors, you know, brothers in the ministry um, who have left stuff behind, right? Um, and some of them left good-paying jobs behind, and some of them, you know, uh, not that that's what it's all about at all, but you know, people have left things behind for the sake of Jesus's kingdom, um, and and I think to some degree, you know, everyone leaves something to follow Jesus. Not necessarily uh, does everybody leave their, their, you know, their former life. Some of us are, you know, cradle Christians. You know, we can't remember a time when we weren't uh, in church every Sunday, you know, baptized at six weeks old or sooner, you know. Um, some of us, uh, you know, uh, have, have always, you know, been in that position. And yet there are, you know, times when we do have to leave behind uh, choices you know, we have to leave behind uh, times when uh, when we have, you know, uh, two paths in front of us and, and we say, well, this is this is the way that I'm going to follow Jesus. Right. Um, and there are uh, there are some people, you know, uh, in very unfortunate cases, you know, uh, where folks do have to leave behind family members. Right. The church is not opposed to family. The church is not anti-family by any means. Everybody should know that. Uh, but the church is pro-gospel. The church is pro-Jesus, right? Um, and so Jesus comes first. Um, and, and does that mean that we love Jesus more than we love anything else? Yeah, it does. That's exactly what it means. And so sometimes following Jesus um, looks like you have to say no to a family member who you know, is not okay with that choice or with that, that path of life. Who's not okay with, um, with, with be, you being an active Christian. You know, this, this comes out in all kinds of places. And dare I uh, even say the word, um, you know, that this, this is expressed a lot of times in politics um, and, and on both sides of the aisle, because there is not a party that is the Christian party. Um, this, this comes out all over the place because, um, we are constantly uh, being told that we need to deny ourselves, that we need to deny our preferences, we need to deny our opinions for the sake of following Jesus. Um, and that's not necessarily easy, uh, but there's no promise that says, you know, follow me and I will make you fishers of men and it'll be easy or it'll be fun. Uh, but it's true. And that's what matters most is that we live in the truth. For sure. I, I, I like the way that you put that as it because it does affect every aspect of our lives, whether or not we are one of those who literally leaves behind a profession to do something else to follow Jesus or whether we follow Jesus in what we are currently doing as a father or a mother, as a son or a daughter as a citizen, as an employer or an employee, in whatever way we are given to serve our neighbor, we always are following Jesus first and foremost, regardless of what the consequences may be. And that does mean leaving something behind, as you said, regardless of, of what it is, there is something that is left behind in that. And and it's always always for the better. And and this, I mean, I think this is setting the stage already for some of the conversations we'll have later in the Gospel of Mark, where we we pick up our cross and follow yeah. Jesus. That that's part of it. And you get to see a, a taste of that here already. It's not made explicit perhaps, but it's a, a taste of it already, that cross that people carry to follow Jesus as these men 
leave behind their nets, leave behind their livelihoods, leave behind their their families. And I know we'll talk more about the family, particularly when we get to James and John. But you yeah. you get to see the cross already here. I think with with this call to follow Jesus. Now, well, go ahead if you want to respond to that. Go ahead. Well, uh, just just uh, to briefly kind of uh, bring everything back to where we started today, uh, just to remind folks um, that, you know, one of the themes that we have in the book of Mark is we have the fact that nobody really knows or understands Jesus. And what we're talking about right now is some pretty unknowable and hard to understand stuff. Wait, you, you just left your nets and your boat, boat that you presumably owned. You just left that stuff there and you walked away from it, right? And with, with that, that kind of not being recognizable to the world comes uh, derision from the world. And so Mark's gospel is certainly going to emphasize um, Christian suffering. And that's, that's part of what comes from the fact that people just – the world doesn't understand us. The world uh, – we are incompatible with the world, if that makes sense. Um, and so also are Andrew and Simon here, um, as they walk away from it all, as they just leave it behind, um, you would think they would be, you know, you know it, it would make more sense to me if it said, and they sold their boat and their nets and went and followed Jesus. But it doesn't say that. It just says they left it behind. They got up, and what's the word that Mark loves to use? Immediately, they followed him. Yep. That's exactly what happens right after, you know. Um, there, there's no break in the action. It's just Jesus says it, they do it. Now, with the term fishers of men that Jesus uses here for these folks, I, I agree with you that it is a strange term. There's not a ton of Old Testament background for this. I mean, if if you're reading through the Old Testament and you think about what is Jesus going to say to the people who he's going to call to be his first disciples. I mean, one of the, the themes you see in the Old Testament is the idea of a shepherd. Over and over again, the Lord will talk about shepherds for his people. He calls them a flock. The The theme of, of fish isn't quite as prominent. It's there in a couple of places. It, it's, there in, it's there in Jeremiah 16. It's there in uh, Ezekiel 47, where you get this theme of, of fish and fishermen. But it's just not a, a very prominent thing. I think it certainly right. makes sense that Jesus speaks this way to actual fishermen. Yeah, I guess uh, I w just to to dig a little deeper, and also because of the example you brought up of your of your own sons, which it, that's not what Jesus is talking about is is literally hooking people with with actual no, fish hooks. <laughs> <laughs> but but the fact that there is a and and you mentioned the parable of the dragnet that Jesus tells in Matthew thirteen, which is another place where the theme of fishing shows up in the Gospels. In that parable. It is both good and bad who are gathered, and then judgment yeah. happens. So, yeah. and I think we tend to think of the image of fishers of men in a positive sense, in the sense that, you know, gathering people into the church. Is there a, a negative connotation to this fishers of men picture as well? You know, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. Uh, because you know when I when I mentioned the dragnet, um, of course that's that's helpful insofar as it's a it's a similar metaphor um, in, in terms of the fact that we're talking about fishing. Uh, but I don't know that you can take um, Jesus's words here and you can just kind of supplant them into that. It would be like if we were talking about 
uh, the parable of the sower, and then we started talking about the parable of the wheat and the tares, right, the wheat right. and the, the weeds, uh, which are both agricultural in nature, uh, but in one of them, the seed is the word of God, and in the other one, the seed is actually, you know, the, 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 the sons of the kingdom that are planted by God, right? And so we have um, similar language, similar um, imagery, and yet we don't necessarily have a one-for-one, um, you know, it's not like anytime Jesus is talking about, you know, agricultural things, everything always means the same things. So I, I don't know, and, and maybe you uh, had a point that you were making with that uh, as far as is there, you know, the only thing that really comes to my mind uh, in terms of something problematic, you know, is is the idea that um, when you're a fisher of men, um, <laughs> I mean, I guess we could say that not all not all men, not all people are, uh, are are interested in being caught. You know that there is that kind of that persecution that will come when you are a fisher of men. Uh, sometimes when you uh, when you go uh, you know fishing for catfish, you know in uh, in Smithville, Texas. I don't know where you guys do your fishing, but sometimes you get a barb, you know, and you you get uh, you get you get a little uh, little cut on your hand, and that hurts, right? So maybe. I know that's not necessarily probably where you were going, but I think that that might be, if you're looking for something that's not all roses here, I think that there might be the fact that being a fisher of men is not easy um, and it's not necessarily always, um, it's not always fun. <laughs> no, I didn't necessarily have a, a point particularly, other than just to to think about it a little bit, because it this is one of the challenges when it comes to the images that scripture uses is how right. much of the image is Jesus using to communicate a point. And, right. and your, your, your point is very well taken that we want to be careful when we see one image used in one place and then used in another place that we don't necessarily draw a one-to-one -one correspondence between the two. The, the theme of, of fish and fish, fish and fishermen yeah. being one that's not as familiar in the scriptures is is one that that's part of the reason for my question is just you know how how much do we want to read into it and I, I appreciate you know I think generally speaking the idea is you're going to be gathering and instead of gathering yeah. fish you're going to be gathering men and, and all of that is not spelled out here again you know that that's the brevity of Mark and, and keeping going into the narrative as you're saying with the idea of the cross and how that's maybe implicit here Jesus will make it explicit elsewhere. Perhaps some of that, you know, and again, I know that's going to Matthew, but the theme of, of gathering, well, the, the disciples, they're going to cast the net of preaching the word and how that word lands, who it affects, who it, it catches, that's left up to the Lord. And, and again, right. maybe all of that is not necessarily here in this text, but it, it comes out later. So, I, yeah, I just I wasn't I wasn't necessarily going anywhere in particular. I just kind of see what your, your thoughts are on that fisher of men because it's, it's again well, it's just not I, one that you see elsewhere a ton yeah i completely agree and i you know one one thing about it though that, that our listeners should probably you know note uh here is the fact that what we just did um in terms of you know kind of testing to see if that peg fits into that hole um that's that's the beauty of studying god's word is that the more that you're in God's word, the more connections you will make in your own soul and in your own, you know, imagination and mind. And, you know, sometimes like we just did, we said, well, you know, it's like uh, fishing. It's like the, the dragnet in Matthew 13. Oh, well, it's maybe it's not necessarily exactly like that. Right. Uh, but, you know, there's there's this wonderful back and forth of 
um, our minds, you know, being expanded by the Holy Scriptures so that, you know, maybe the place that we, uh, we can go is, is we can go to Luke chapter 5. Um, Luke's account of this very same event, right, which um, includes that wonderful detail um, of the miraculous catch of fish, you know, echoed all the way in John chapter 21, right? Um, And then what happens when the miraculous catch of fish comes in in Luke chapter 5? St. Peter falls on his face and says, depart from me, Lord. For I am a sinner, right? Uh, and so this is, you know, for all of our listeners who are hearing this, I mean, this is the way that studying the Word of God is supposed to work, is that you read the text, and you, you of course, read the text within its context, but then the Word of God illuminates other verses, other themes, other ideas from the Word of God. And as long as the Word of God is what is constraining you and you are not, um, you know, jumping off of the deep end into some place where God has not spoken, that's obviously a very bad problem. Um, As long as you don't go to those places, as long as you are still within the confines of Holy Scripture and the the teaching of of God's Word, um, then it's just, it's, I felt like we just spent five minutes on the playground, Pastor Apple. I mean, (laughs) this is uh, how we enjoy time together in God's Word and how we are uh, together um, mutually, uh, we have our faith sharpened, sharpened iron, something like that, yes. Yes, that's good. right. That's right. Yeah, that's it's always a joy when that happens to to that's discuss the in the word of God, under the word of God and be sharpened by the Holy Spirit through his word. So, let's uh, we got about 10 minutes here. So, let's let's move on to yeah. to James and John. The other two, we mentioned them earlier as a part of this inner circle, Peter, James and John. Uh, what do we what do we hear in this text about James and John and just give us some other information on these two disciples? Yeah, yeah. So uh, James and John, uh, I mean, these guys are, um, they are central figures, um, central individuals in terms of uh, the Gospels. Um, They're always mentioned uh, in the naming uh, of the Twelve. They're always mentioned towards the beginning. I mean, these guys are, um, uh, they're in the inner circle, you could say. They're the the ones who are there on the Transfiguration. Um, James, uh, incidentally, um, is probably most known for the fact that he uh, is is martyred. He's the first of the apostles to be martyred. That's in Acts chapter 12. Uh, their parents' names are uh, Zebedee and uh, Salome, right? And um, we do believe that uh, that they had some kind of a connection uh, to uh, to the temple, right? Uh, in terms of uh, uh, to the priestly order or something of that nature. Um, it's it is. We get this from the fact, uh, especially in John's gospel, um, that uh, that John, the disciple whom Jesus loves, as he refers to himself, um, that he is permitted entrance into the, uh, the the gathering of the Sanhedrin whenever they have Jesus on trial, right? So we know that there's that John sort of uh, there, there's a little bit more going on with with John and James um, than maybe we. Uh, uh, than we get from Peter and Andrew. Uh, they're kind of from a backwater place. Um, James and John, maybe not so much, right? And yet they're fishermen. They're fishermen. They're not, you know, it, again, it's not that uh, that James and John are Levites, priests that have been, you know, invited over, you know, by Jesus to be followers. Um, but they're, you know, another couple of brothers. And the, the distinctive for James and John here in Mark chapter one, of course, is that they're there with their father, and that they're going to leave that behind. They're going to leave, um, leave, uh, leave family for the sake of the kingdom of God. Right. 
So let's talk a little bit more about the leaving of family for the sake of the kingdom of God. We've touched on this in a few other places, but I think we can dig in a little deeper. You said earlier the church is not anti-family, and yet we do see at times people leaving family or disassociating from family or maybe family dissociating from them for the sake of the gospel in some sense. So how do we hold those things together? Right. Um, and I mean, I'll never forget. I've, I've got a, um, I've got an, a, an acquaintance, somebody that I'm close with, um, who has basically decided that um, when Jesus tells uh, his disciples um, that anyone who, um, who isn't willing to hate his family or even his own life uh, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven has no place with him. Right. When, when they say when Jesus says that, that's the Bible verse that uh, this friend of mine, you know, nope, not going to be a Christian because I can't uh, I can't be about a religion that that involves that. Um, of course, you and I know that Jesus isn't um, Jesus isn't using the word hate uh, there in the way that we would understand it. Um, instead, Jesus is talking about our priorities. Jesus is talking about what comes first, and what comes first is is the kingdom of God. What comes first um, is uh, the family of God. Um, and it's a blessing when our family is the family of God, right? When they are a part of the family of God. Um, unfortunately, in some situations, um, there are people who are uh, family by flesh uh, who are not family by faith, right? Um, and there's never anything, any inclination that we should have ill feelings towards them, right? We should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, et cetera, right? Nevertheless, um, we understand that those who are our family by faith are our family unto eternity, right? Um, and so what is the message for those who are not of the family of faith? Um, it's repent and believe the gospel, right? The kingdom of heaven is drawing near. Um, the time has come. It's the fact that uh, the message is the same to anybody, right? Whether it's somebody that I just met off the street or somebody that's, you know, um, that, that shares my last name. Jesus loves you and he wants you to be a part of his kingdom, right? Um, so we have a different type of loyalty to Jesus, right? One that endures unto, uh, unto eternity. Uh, and does that create awkward Thanksgiving dinners sometimes for us? I mean, yeah. Sometimes it does, right? Um, but, I mean, that's part of, uh, of following Jesus. That's the part that we don't necessarily uh, enjoy, but that's the part that uh, we are called to uh, sometimes is, you know, uh, we follow Jesus. Uh, he's first and foremost, right? And, um, yeah, I hope that, that that's kind of a hard pill to swallow. Uh, thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks to Mark for that, and thanks to, uh, to Jesus for that as well. Uh, but sometimes uh, that's the way that it goes. Um, is that uh, you know if it, if it comes if push comes to shove, it's about the family of Christ um, for our family's sake um, because in Christ is life and Christ is uh, is eternity uh, eternal life and uh, so we would want our families to enjoy and to be a part of that as well. Right. The word, as you reference the other text that where Jesus talks about hating family, yeah. I think it certainly is a, a stumbling block. But part of, I think, part of helping with that is that we hear the word hate and we think an emotion towards someone, which is not right. necessarily the way that we should understand it as Jesus says it, but rather hate 
in the sense that I don't choose that first. That's not, and you've used the word priority rightly so many times. That's not the priority. The priority is following yeah. Jesus. And that, I mean, I think that it's still a hard word, but I think that begins is, yeah. to help as, as we consider what is our priority to Jesus and then what is our priority to family and and what does it truly mean to love my family it it doesn't mean to simply let them go their own way into idolatry or any any sort of harmful way of life any sort of evil but it does mean too as you said share the good news with them to to say the words that Jesus said repent believe in the gospel we got 2 minutes here pastor beck to help us wrap things up point us to Jesus in this text sure sure i think that um in Mark's gospel, one of the uh, one of the things, one of the features that goes throughout um, is the immediacy of the gospel. The fact that it is a right now, right here in your face gospel, uh, and that's that's a beautiful feature. Um, when we have Jesus showing up on the scene and Jesus begins to call people uh, to follow him, uh, it, it's it works just the same way. So Jesus says, "Follow me," and what do they do? Immediately, they they follow him. Right, and we are called to the very same kind of faith. It's it's maybe not the the faith that um, that we would have expected or that we would have hoped for, because you know sometimes we wish to feel our way out. We wish to maybe try Jesus for a while. Instead, um, it's it's whole hog. It's it's here. Believe these things now, um, and your life will be changed. And sometimes that means that you will not fit into this world. Sometimes that means you'll be a stranger in this world, um, and you might be hated by all. Uh, for my name's sake, Jesus says. And yet, nevertheless. Uh, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Uh, we have a picture of that uh, in these two sets of brothers. Um, and thanks be to God for the fact that these two uh, sets of brothers were able to be brothers, not only uh, of the flesh, but brothers of faith as well. Uh, and we uh, thank God for the fact that Jesus calls them and he calls us as well. Pastor Dustin Beck is the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, helping us this morning with Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Jesus comes with immediacy, with urgency. The time is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. Repent, believe in the gospel. And he goes to four fishermen alongside the Sea of Galilee with that good news. Follow me. Such a simple word, yet all-encompassing. And that word is effective. These men do. They follow Jesus they become fishers of men, gathering more into the kingdom of God. Those who repent, believe in the gospel, trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. That's you and that's me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. If you have questions, feel free to send them in to KFUO at KFUO.org. We'd love to hear from you. It's a joy to study God's word with you. I'll talk to you again tomorrow.